Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel in the 13th chapter, beginning with verses 31. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows... It is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air may come and perch in its branches. Then he said still this other parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in a large amount of flour until it worked its way through the dough. And once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up to the shore, and then they sat it down and collected good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and throw them into the fiery furnace, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And these parables go right along with these words. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then he went with joy and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found the one of great value, he went away and sold everything, and he bought it. Have you understood all of these things, Jesus said? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we gather this morning, speak so intently to our hearts that we may shut out all the distractions of life. All those things which buzz around the rooms of our homes, which threaten to distract us from you. Let us in our hearts be in a sanctuary, a place where you whisper, where you comfort, where you call to us, and we cannot help but listen. So then in that sanctuary place, in our homes, wherever we might be across the world, that we would be united in spirit, but in hearing your words clearly transformed so that we would leave that time of sanctuary and worship and have transformed hearts to serve you with renewed strength and vigor, not just as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. I think if Jesus were teaching these parables on the kingdom of heaven today, it might sound something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man in search of Charmin two-ply quilted in the midst of a pandemic. 
And when he found the one grocery store within 200 nautical miles of his home that had that, he bought all that he could that they would allow him to buy. And then he took it out to his car and he changed masks, shirts, and hats, put on sunglasses and went back in and bought a gross again. And he did it over and over again until the car was full. And then he texted his friends to say, by the way, they have some toilet paper at the Harris Teeter at Thruway Shopping Center. Now, we say this story, and I preach this idea in jest, but the reality is, who would have thought that when Jesus would try to explain the kingdom of heaven, that he would use words that people would understand? And who would have thought if he was teaching to us in a pandemic that we would use Charmin II plaque quilted as that of great value? Oh, but we know that it was and still is. But that's how it is with the kingdom of heaven. It begins to get in our mind as to how great and vast it is. See, what Jesus is really talking about, this idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's about our relationship and the value that it holds to us and in our lives. See, in the beginning, God desired this perfect relationship with all of creation, but especially with us, with humanity. This relationship and where it be is a symbiosis of support and nurture and joy and love and caring and grace and kindness. But we know what happens. Adam and Eve think they know as much or more than God and they decide to go out on their own and the fall happens. And so as humanity has been broiled in this idea of the fall, all of a sudden they come and they realize that Jesus has to come again to earth, God in human form, to show us the way, to teach us what the kingdom of heaven could really be if we would just listen in our hearts and live those words in our lives. The parable teaches us to seek the best that of great price, that of great wonder. But it begins to help us understand that the kingdom of heaven is that place where the relationship with God is at its best. And it's in that moment that we seek out God's kingdom and God's righteousness, that we seek that first. And in finding it, we realize that there is nothing that will have greater value in our lives than to be in God's kingdom that it will cost us all that we have, that it will cost us a great price. But once we have found what we are looking for, that kingdom, we will know a joy like no other and that it will be the greatest of places that we will never want to leave. As I think of this text today, the different parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom, it reminds me of a story that's been floating around for several generations in various forms, but it goes something like this. There was a wealthy man who was an art collector. He had a vast art collection throughout his home, Picassos and Raphaels and all of the great masters. It was the envy of all of the world, one of the finest private collections. And one day his doorbell rings and there is a young man with a package wrapped up in his arms. And he said, you don't know me, 
but your son saved my life during the war. It was an ugly battle. It was awful. And I was wounded and he was caring for me and he died saving my life and the lives of so many others. And I have this gift for you. It's not really much. Honestly, it's really kind of crude. But it doesn't do justice for the gift that he has given to me and so many others. And so the man, unsure, he unwraps a package and it's a portrait of his son painted by the man on his stoop. And no, it wasn't a fine piece of work, but in that moment, he was painted the way his friends saw him, how they saw the son. And the father says, oh my gosh, with tears in his eyes, you captured his eyes so beautifully. Can I pay you for it? And the man on the stoop said, oh no. He's already paid with his life. And with that, the the man goes away and the father took this piece of art, this portrait of his son, and he hung it on the mantle. And anybody that came by to see the collection had to first endure the trip to the den where the mantle was. And he had to listen to the story behind the picture. And finally, they could see the rest of the fine artwork that the world so longed to see. Years went by and the art collector, he died. And soon there was an announcement about an art auction for the entire estate. And so collectors from around the world gathered and the auctioneer came out and he said, so we're here to auction off the estate. The first picture is this. And it was the portrait from the mantle. The portrait of the son painted in a time of war. And he said, the first piece is this. Who will give me a bid of $200? Can I get 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 $200? And nobody would raise their hand. He goes, all right, we'll, we'll lower it down. How about 100 How about 100 Can I get 100 Somebody give me 100 here, 100 here. Someone please raise the paddle. Give me 100 And then down to 50 And then down to 25 And the auctioneer said, he just sort of stopped. He says, folks, this is the first piece of a big auction. Somebody make me an opening bid. And the crowd hollered, we don't want to see this. We want to see the real art. And finally, someone in the back says, I'll give you 10 bucks. The auctioneer says, 10 bucks it is, 10 bucks it is. Anybody want to go 15? Anybody want to go 15? 10 bucks it is, going once, going twice, sold. And with that, he looked at the man who'd raised the paddle for $10 and he said, sir, if you will meet me in the back room, we're going to settle up. Thank you all, folks. The auction is over. I mean, the crowd lost their mind. They got all upset and he said, what I could not tell you was this. In the will was stipulated that there would be this great art auction, but that the son's portrait would go first. And whoever got the son got the collection. People were angry and chagrined. Whoever gets the sun gets the whole collection. See, when I think of this parable of the kingdom of heaven and this story, when they come to mind, what it helps me realize is that in all the things that we pursue in life, victories and wealth and fame, that nothing compares 
to what we receive when we follow Christ. When we let Christ in our hearts, the child of Bethlehem, the carpenter of Nazareth, the king that rode in triumphantly on a donkey, the one who was crucified between two thieves for the salvation of the world. See, when we know him in our heart and we know his love for us and for all the world and we begin to live into it, we begin to realize that we've received the greatest gift ever. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the kingdom of heaven where we know no finer riches than knowing the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. See, that is the pearl of great value. I've always been intrigued with the stock market. Many of you know that that was my story. I went to college to be a banker or a stockbroker somewhere in the financial industry. And I'm always intrigued with IPOs, those initial public offerings. You know, they're tricky and they're fun to watch. I mean, sometimes they're all trouted out with great fanfare and some of them are super successful. Take 2008 when Visa went public and it raised $17.9 billion dollars. Today, it's valued at over 750% of its initial public price. Or Facebook in 2012 raised $16 billion and valued at about 300% of its IPO price. And, you know, we think to ourselves, you know, gosh, if I could just have called on to that, if I could have just poured my money into it, I could have ridden the market up and be sitting like a king today. Before we get excited about that, every broker will tell you you want to diversify and never pour everything into one IPO. And here's why. Pets.com. At the height of the dot-com bubble burst, Pets.com came out of the gate roaring and then fell flat. In 268 days past its IPO, it was in liquidation. So what we know sometimes is that there is not really a guarantee, right? But what if you knew, what if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that an IPO was going to take off and it was guaranteed to soar through the ceiling, it would have the highest return on its investment and guarantee. You and I both know what we would do if we could get that in writing. We would pour everything we had into it. See, this parable today, these parables tell us that the kingdom of God is a sure thing. That God's love, God's guidance, God's presence is guaranteed. That all God asks for is our heart and our soul to put our very lives, blood, sweat, and tears back into the kingdom. God wants us fully committed with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And if we use those in a focused and a wholly committed way that we can build the kingdom here on earth, and transform the world around us. Imagine with me, brothers and sisters, if we, like a mighty steamroller, would pour our hearts fully into what God calls us to do. Imagine the grace and the love and the transformation that we could make in the world around us today, tomorrow, and in the years to come. To pour ourselves all in for the sake of the gospel. When we do that, we find that pearl of great price. And in finding it, we find the greatest joy. 
reminds me when I think of joy of doing those things that involve full, wholehearted contentment. It reminds me of one of the first mission trips that I led with teenagers, and I was asking one of the kids one day, I could sort of tell he was having a hard time. He's sort of scowling in the parking lot, didn't really want to be there, kind of angry at the world. You know, you've seen those teenagers before. And I said, hey, what's up? He goes, my mom's making me do this stupid mission trip. Now, let me tell you what, when you're the one that plans a trip, you know, you know that teenagers sometimes get pushed to do things, but when they start and they go out of the gate attacking it, it's never a lot of fun. So I said, all right, well, tell me what's it going to be like? Well, we're going to have to sleep on the floor. I'll probably have a cold shower. There'll be some bad food. We'll have to sing those stupid church songs. Then I'm going to have to do manual labor and I'm going to have to sweat some. I won't be able to use my phone. And I won't be around my closest friends. It's just going to be a stupid week. I said, are you going to have any fun maybe? He goes, I don't know, possibly. Now I got to tell you, in some ways he's right, and in a lot of ways he's wrong. And I knew this at that moment, but only time would prove it wrong. Because the reality is that, yes, he was going to sleep on the floor. Where we would take showers, there wasn't hot water. Mission trip food is always like cafeteria food minus four stars. So, you know, it was already shaky. It's manual labor. It's in the middle of the summer, so we're going to sweat. And yes, no telephone service where we were. And no, his closest friends weren't there. Oh, and yes, we would sing church songs, some of which are silly, some of which maybe do borderline stupid, but you know what? It's a lot of fun. But here's where he's wrong, because it's what happens in his soul when he pours himself all into it. So at the end of the first day after we were there, I, I caught him and he, was, he wasn't sullen. I said, so how was it? He goes, man... It was great. He says, the food still stinks. Yeah. He says, but it was great, man. He says, we dug the most awesome ditch today. I mean, we cut real progress. I mean, who knows? We might be able to get that sewer system in by the end of this week. And he's walking around strutting like he was the job boss and he had figured out how to make a million bucks on a shovel. So I asked him, I said, I asked his group leader, I said, what did you do to him? I said, he's absolutely happy. He's having a ball. He says, I looked at him and I said, I need you. I need you to dig in. I need you to use your muscles because we've got to help this family change their scenario. We've got to give them running water and indoor plumbing. I need you to dig in and use your muscles and dig this ditch. He says, all I did was really appeal to that teenage bravado and then, you know, everything else took off. By the end of the week, he was a different kid. I mean, he was exhausted. He was worn out. But when we got back home, after having slept in the church van for three and a half hours, his mom picked him up and they, she chucked him in the car and they were on their way to the beach for vacation. The next week when they got back, she called me. She says, what did you do to my son? Now, just parenthetically, youth ministers, that's always a dangerous way to start a sentence because we never know what we've done but we're pretty sure we're guilty of it. She says, what did you do to my son? And I said, well, tell me what you mean. She said, he was exhausted when he got in the car and then about 30 minutes outside of Thomasville, he starts talking. And he talked for two and a half hours straight without taking a breath. All I heard about was this mission trip on the way to the beach. And all I heard about down there the whole time was this mission trip and how he couldn't wait to go again. She said, 
what did you do to him? He's a different kid. He's full of joy. He wants to help people. He wants to do good. He wants to change the world. And I smiled and I said, I didn't do anything. He discovered the pearl of great price. See, my brothers and sisters, when we do hard work, we pour ourselves in blood, sweat, and tears. When we do that, we go all in for the kingdom of God. When we have that relationship with Christ that changes our lives, what we find is that it may be hard work at times, but it brings us the greatest joy, greater than we will ever know in anything else we do in our lives. That which we do through the ministries of this church, that which we do for the sake of the gospel will bring us greater joy, greater enjoyment of life than anything else we will do in our entire existence. You see, my friends, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is so valuable it can be found only and only realized when we place the greatest value on our relationship with God. And when we do that, it intersects with our desire to be wholeheartedly committed, wholeheartedly committed to the fullness of Christ. And when we do that, it brings us the greatest joy, not only in our lives, to the people around us as well, and it transforms us and the world in which we live. So my prayer for us, my prayer for you and me and for our congregation is that during this season of pandemic exile, that we see this as an awakening of our souls so that we would seek the kingdom of God in everything that we do, that we would seek out the pearl of greatest price and that we would do whatever it took to obtain it, pouring our whole selves in and in doing so, we find the greatest joy in transforming the world around us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.